Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. So you have a job. The bills are paid. Might not be the fanciest car, but you've got wheels, clothes on your back. Typically... You don't have to worry too much about uh, a warm meal. There's enough food in the fridge. All the basic needs are met. And yet, something doesn't feel quite right. And, and, and maybe you want to kick yourself a little bit and, 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 and give yourself a little pep talk and say, but look, what, what do I have to complain about? I'm living in a nice home. I've got reliable transportation, clothes on my back, food on the table. Really, why am I not happier? Why don't I feel more satisfied with life? And yet, there's something tugging at your heart that makes you feel held back, maybe held down even, constrained. And and when you really look at your life, you, you feel like you're surviving, really, not thriving. Maybe you can't even quite figure out how to put your finger on it. What, what is it that's, that's causing me to feel this way? You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that so many people go through life, and, and when you ask them, what is the meaning of life? What, how would you describe life? What, what is it all about? And, and we hate to admit it, but more often than not, the first image that pops into our head is a hamster wheel that we're just running round and round and, and the same circles over and over again, trying to scurry faster, but really going nowhere. Surviving, like I said, not really thriving. There was an interesting gentleman in the 20th century, pretty well-known psychologist. If uh, you had just one year of college psychology, you certainly heard about this guy. If, um, if you ever read a parenting book, you probably saw his little diagram. Certainly, I'll tell you, if you're an educator, this guy's diagram was drilled into your head as, as a teacher. The person I'm talking about is Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. I'm going to put it up for you. Uh, you know, educators are going, I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> this diagram is, is so drilled into us because here's what it's really saying. Do you see what's on the foundation of this diagram? Physiological needs. And I don't know if you can read the little words at the bottom, but there, there, there's only three words there, food, water, sleep. Uh, certain people will add other, other things to that, but it's your basic needs, your foundational needs. And Maslow's argument was that you had to have those met before you could work on the next need and the next need and the next need. And, and that was the foundation. And, and if you got your physiological needs met, then you, you'd try to get your safety needs met. You'd build a nest. You'd have a home sweet home. 
and you'd protect it. It would be your castle. And if you could get those two, then you could build up to finding love and belonging, achieving deeper, more meaningful relationships. And then if those needs were being met, on top of that, you could build your esteem. You could, you could feel like you're respected. And then finally, Self-actualization, that's where you get to move ahead in life and, and, and feel like you're living a life that has meaning and purpose. Now, like I said, most parents, most people who've been through just one year of college psychology, and if you're an educator, you'll never be able to forget this diagram. You're probably dreaming about it at night. This has been drilled into our modern culture and society. And I want you to think about this today as we study the words of Jesus. And I want you to analyze and I want you to evaluate this, this diagram, this pyramid, as, as we hear Jesus teach. Let me set this up for you. I, I'm, I'm going to go back because it's been about five weeks since we were in this Jesus, Son of God series. We went through our Breakthrough Financial series. And do you remember where we last left Jesus? Jesus was amazingly popular. Crowds were following him. He couldn't get away for a moment. People were loving his teaching, clapping their hands whenever they got a chance to, to hear him and saying, this man teaches like no other. What authority he has. All we want to do is sit at his feet. And then on top of how wonderfully he taught, Jesus excited them and revved them up with the miracles that he was doing. Healing Peter's mom at her house, driving out demons. Healing uh, the, the man that was lowered through the roof. The crowds were so large, remember, that his friends couldn't even get him to Jesus. The man at the pool of Bethesda who had been lame for 40 years, Jesus healed him and he picked up his mat and walked away and that caused a controversy with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because Jesus did that on the Sabbath day. That's what we've been through. That's what we've been looking at. And, and it's interesting because some of these miracles are, are so well known because all four gospel writers record them. And what's, what's interesting in particular about one of them, the feeding of the 5,000, is that even the Apostle John includes that one. Now, John wrote very likely after the first three. And John, uh, the Apostle, saw part of his job to fill in the gaps. So he doesn't include all the same stories and all the same miracles. Often he gives added detail or a completely uh, different uh, account or story to fill in what was missing in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But that miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, John includes it. And it's right at the beginning of John chapter 6 where we read about the feeding of the 5,000. If you have your Bibles open on your laps, you can look there and you'll see that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's healing 5,000 people. And what happens after that is uh, it gets dark, you know, the day ends, and all of a sudden Jesus is gone. And, and the crowds are so worried that they're not going to be able to 
pick Jesus up and find him and follow him and listen to him, that they start to frantically search. They notice that a boat that had been parked on the shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee was no longer there. And so the very next morning, they hire boats and this crowd of people sails across thinking to themselves, maybe Jesus went back to his home base in Capernaum. And that's exactly what he had done, in fact. And the, and the crowds find him, and that's where this begins. So let's take a look at John chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. It's in your crosswalk notes. When they found him, when, when the crowds found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Of course, that's a natural question, isn't it? Like, we just saw you yesterday on the other side of the lake. You were feeding all of us, and now you're here? When did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Will you underline from because? Because you ate the loaves and had your fill. I'm going to pause there. This is what Jesus does. I love this about Jesus. They ask a question. Jesus answers a different question. Instead of, when did I get here? He answers the question, why did you come here? And the answer to that question, because Jesus can, can look into hearts, is, you came here because I filled your tummies temporarily and you had your fill and now you're thinking, okay, Jesus is a great vending machine. And when I need something, I, I can have that thing. And so I'm going to stick with that guy because Maybe if I stick with that guy, I won't even ever have to worry about eating or any of that. He's just going to give us that. And remember, on a broader scale, the Jews were waiting for a Messiah that would be a political king. They were thinking to themselves, if Jesus could do things like this, what a king he'll make. And if we're early adopters of this new king... Oh, imagine where we might be, where we might end up. And so they are going to stick with Jesus. Now, Jesus is actually trying to get them to step back a little bit. And he asks them a question now, and, uh, or, or gives them a command, rather, and says, here's what I want you to think about. So, you came because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're following me because I'm meeting temporary needs. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Are temporary needs totally unimportant? Why did John include that story of the feeding of the 5,000? Temporary needs 
can be very important. And certainly they can be very urgent, right? Your body will remind you if you haven't eaten for a while. And even Jesus could see that this crowd of 5,000 people, they were getting the reminders. And so he goes and he, he takes care of those basic physiological needs and then goes back to teaching. And, and, and you and I, we have those temporary needs, don't we? It, and not just hunger, but you ever get reminded that you haven't had enough sleep? Ever get reminded that you haven't had a drink for a while here out in the desert? The body is going to remind us when we haven't had our basic physiological needs met for a while. So it's not as if Jesus doesn't recognize this, doesn't understand the need for those, need, for, for those to be met, but at the same time, he is saying, look, it's real easy because of the way your body is created to get tunnel vision. I, I want to put an image up for you. When you get tunnel vision, do you see what it does to you? Now, if, if, if you are the person looking out of this tunnel down this boardwalk, you see a beautiful pathway, and it seems so clear. Here's the pathway, and it really seems like it's the only pathway. But the thing is, if we were to remove the tunnel, what might happen? Could there be a boardwalk slanting out to the left, slanting out to the right, maybe even 90 degrees to the left or 90 degrees to the right? Could there be another path, another way to go? There could be. But if you develop tunnel vision, if your mind hones in so powerfully on just the one option, the temporary options that your body is reminding you of, the temporary things that you need right now urgently, tunnel vision is going to prevent you from seeing what other options you should be looking at. And, and that's really our first point here. It's what Jesus is saying. Look, broaden your vision. Don't just work for food that spoils, because it does spoil. It's temporary. But work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So write this down. Spiritual tunnel vision is the result of looking for the wrong things. That crowd came to Jesus, and sadly, they were only focused on filling themselves up and having their temporary physiological needs be met. In their tunnel vision, in other words, the, the crowd gets hung up, and, and it's not just hung up on only looking for the physical food that Jesus gave. Once you have tunnel vision, it, it does some pretty interesting things to you. Tunnel vision will have you looking for evidence and only evidence that confirms what you are seeing. So for example, if you're looking at that boardwalk with tunnel vision, you are, if someone else comes along and says to you, there is another boardwalk going over here and there's another one going over here, you're, you're going to tend to tune them out. 
Because you are going to only want to confirm what you can see through your tunnel vision. And, and we all suffer from this at times. And we've been in those conversations, haven't we? Where the person with tunnel vision is not really listening to understand better, listening with a curious heart, listening with wonder in, in their minds. Like, I wonder if this could be true, but they are listening so that they can respond. Let me tell you why I know there's only one, one way to go. And, and it goes back and forth like a tennis match because no one is really listening to anyone else. You got two people with tunnel vision trying to figure things out and it can't happen. So Jesus says, I need to break the tunnel. I need to get you guys out of, of thinking there's only one type of need to be met. Well, once he says that, their tunnel vision doesn't evaporate. Instead, it continues. And they get hung up, not only on the one thing they want, but on the, on the wrong word. So, so look at this. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? That question tells you what? Go back up to the top. It tells you that they got hung up on the word, do not work for food that spoils. They got hung up on this idea that whatever is going to happen, we're going to have to bring it to the table. We're going to have to do it. Jesus says, that's the wrong word. You asked the wrong question to start with. Now you're hung up on the wrong word. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. He could have said, let's go back to what I just said. And what I just said is... Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. There's the word I'd love you to be hung up on. That I have something that I graciously and lovingly want to give you as a gift. Now you're, you're getting hung up on how do I earn this? How do I work for it? And I think we can all get that, can't we? Because doesn't our humanity, I don't think this is just American culture, I think it's culture through the ages. Doesn't our humanity teach us that good things only come when we work hard? That if we want to be successful, we got to put in the extra hours, we've got to stick to it and persevere. It's got to be blood, sweat, and tears. And when we are willing to, to shed the blood and sweat the sweat and cry the tears, that's when good things are going to come to us. And Jesus says, maybe not. Because maybe there's a God who works in a completely different way than what your culture, even your parents have taught you. That this tunnel vision is partially because you've, you've only been taught to think in, you can only have what you work for. But I, Jesus, am here to tell you there's a whole another way that God wants to work with you because he loves you, because you're his child that he has blessings that he wants to pour out on you, that he has love that he wants to shower on you, that he has gifts that he wants to give you every day, forgiveness, the power to have a changed life and not continue down the path that is so painful to you. 
the power, the right, the authority to stand before a holy God as a person declared holy in the blood of Christ. And the authority and the right to hear God as judge say, come here to my right and inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. God has amazing gifts that he wants to shower on us in his love. And that's what Jesus is saying. But we have to get out of the tunnel vision that gets us hung up on what do I need to do to get all that? You ever had that happen where you gave somebody a gift and you're trying to just give it to them? And they're like, well, what can I do to earn it? What do you want to be paid for it? And it's almost insulting, isn't it? Because you just want to freely show your love. And this is what Jesus is saying. Stop with the work. Stop with the trying to earn it and just accept the gift. Let's write this down. The first result of spiritual tunnel vision is the desire to earn what can only be received as a gift. You know what's so interesting about tunnel vision? It it, it doesn't seem to matter how much evidence you bring to the table to try to shatter the tunnel. And, And we see that here. No matter how many miracles Jesus has already done, it seems like there's no miracle that's ever enough for this crowd. Because what's the first question that they ask? So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Got another miracle for us, Jesus? Because the ones you've done already don't prove a thing. What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Let's go back to Moses. He did a pretty cool thing. He arranged it with God that every day the people got bread to eat, quail, water from rocks. That was awesome. Can you do something like that, Jesus? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven And gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus says these most beautiful words. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. No miracle that I do will ever be enough for you to believe until you understand that you need to refocus and break down this tunnel vision that you have and see me as the true sustenance, as the truest, deepest need that you have in life. To know me, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and your Savior, there is no deeper need for any soul, for any person who's ever born into this world. That's what Jesus is saying here. He is our first, our deepest, our most important need that must be met. And he is saying, I want to give myself to you. 
come to the table. It's set. And there is enough for you to eat here. And feed not your body, but your soul. And that's what you need far more than the feeding of your body. You know what's interesting? You go through some very, very successful people in life. And I want to read a quote that I found. Who here has ever heard of the Beatles? Anybody ever heard of the Beatles? All right, good. George Harrison. Amazing success, right, with the Beatles? Uh, Has there ever been a greater rock band than the Beatles? More successful? Some of us might argue that. But we'd certainly still say that this man, by any measure, was successful when it came to earthly measures of success. In his comment in the Beatles anthology, he says, when you've had all the experiences, when you've met all the famous people, made some money, toured the world, gotten all the acclaim, you still think, is this it? Is this all there is? Some people might be satisfied with that, but I wasn't. And I'm still not. Isn't it interesting that the most successful people in the world can pursue and succeed at meeting more than just physiological needs? I'll bet you could go almost all the way up that Maslow's pyramid and see that most of those needs were met. Even self-actualization needs were met in that he was able to live a purposeful life utilizing the gifts that God had given him. And yet at the end of the day, he still didn't feel that he had enough. He still felt that feeling we talked about that he was surviving, not really thriving. That as much as he had, he felt held back and held down and constrained and not free. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, do you know what he's offering you? He's offering you an eternity of that kind of fulfillment and freedom. Being close to him forever, close to to the one who created you, who redeemed you at the cost of his own life, who, who fills you with all kinds of goodness. And he offers that beginning Today, in imperfect terms, yes, you're still fallen and sinful and living in a fallen and sinful world, and it won't be perfect. Your experience of the fullness Christ offers you and the joy and the life that Christ offers you, that's not going to be perfect this side of heaven, but it can begin. You you can, as you follow Jesus and allow him to fill your heart, Be more joyful, be more at peace, feel more fulfilled, feel more as if you're living a life of purpose today than you did yesterday and tomorrow more than you do today as you walk with him and take him in and digest him as the bread of life that he is. Will you turn the page? What's Jesus' comparison here? It's good physical nutrition and good spiritual nutrition have some things in common. Joe, to put that slide up, 
Most of us are seeing these in magazines nowadays, how, how to eat better, how to get good physical nutrition. You got to have your protein, your salad, your vegetables, your, your starch. And that's what we should be putting into ourselves so that we can be healthy and, and, and feel like physically we're thriving. So write this down. Receiving good physical nutrition is receiving health-inducing, life-enhancing food into our stomachs by faith. Uh, by fork. <laughs> by fork. I got ahead of myself. And Jesus says, when I'm the bread of life, I am good spiritual nutrition. And here's the comparison. It is receiving Jesus, which is health-inducing, life-enhancing spiritual food into our hearts by faith. What Jesus is teaching them is, what meal are you going to seek first? What are you going to consider to be the most important pursuit of your life? Is it going to be the physical things, the physiological things? And, and how often, because they are so urgent, don't, don't we center our world around meeting those physiological needs? How do we invest our time? Many of us are investing tons of time making sure that paycheck gets bigger. Most of us love to be in that situation where we can go to the, the best supermarkets, the fancy supermarkets, and, and, and get the organic this and that because that's what's so healthy for us. We want to have the nice ride. The one that our buddies at work will come out and admire and go, wow, really? That's amazing. When we throw a party and a barbecue in our backyard, we want everybody admiring the pool that's there and, and the nice new built-in barbecue that we've built and those massive steaks that we got at Costco sizzling on the, on the fire, like awesome. He's not feeding us Oscar Mayer hot dogs. This is amazing. That's what we want, and we spend our lives chasing those things. And, and it's not just that. We look for the temporary high that a chemical can give us, the temporary forgetfulness that alcohol can bring, the temporary moment of, of joy or maybe bonding that, that sex gives us. And, and, we, and we start to have our life just revolve around these temporary needs. And, and, and I want to say, as I said earlier, I want to remind you, it's, it's not as if physiological needs are not needs. They are. But, but we as humans tend to, to build it into something. And, and in fact, we tend to build it into an idol, which is exactly where the apostle Paul goes with this. And you know what he names this idol? He has a name for it. He calls this God stomach. You make your stomach your God. And when you make your stomach your God, watch out because your stomach will never be able to love you, bless you, help you, give you the eternal good 
blessings that God can give you, that Christ brings for you. Let's fill in the, the fill-in. The second result of spiritual tunnel vision is to miss the true giver and his best gifts. Remember what I said earlier, if you look at the crowds, if you go back to the crowds, they're like, well, maybe we should go back to Moses because you're apparently not going to do it for us. They're totally missing what Jesus wants to give them, totally missing the whole meaning of Jesus' miracles, that he is the son of God, that he is the fulfillment of all those promises to be their savior, the promised Messiah. They're missing it entirely because of this spiritual tunnel vision. They're missing the true giver, and they're going to miss his best spiritual gifts. And that's why Paul says what he says here. Philippians chapter three. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. You know what that means? That means they actually take all these things and, and they build this grand and glorious life around the nice ride, the big house, the swimming pool, the built-in grill, the steaks. And they're like, yeah, this is life. This is it. I, I have all the food I want. I have all the home I want. In fact, I've got two homes. I got the vacation home up in the mountains. And, and a condo over in San Diego. Amazing life I'm living. Their glory is in their shame. And why is it their shame? Because they've turned their stomach into their God. Their mind, as, as if it's not clear enough, their mind is set on earthly things. Do you see the tunnel vision here? Their mind is set on earthly things. But as for us, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. We think about eternal things. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, if you want to accuse us of having tunnel vision, it's a telescope and it is completely focused on the skies waiting for the promise that Christ gave to us that he will return and take us to be with himself forever because he's won that for us. He's won it for you and he's won it for me, the cost of his own life. So the question that we're being presented with is the same question the crowds were being presented with. And here it is. Will I focus most on feeding my stomach or feeding my spirit? Here's the problem with feeding your stomach. It will tend to crowd out feeding your spirit. The more your focus is on feeding your stomach, the less time you're going to find for feeding your spirit. And to feed your spirit, Jesus makes it clear. John chapter 8, just, just a few chapters after John 6 where we are today, he says, if you really want to be my disciples, you will listen to what I teach. And my teachings will set you free. 
So what does it mean to be fed with the bread of life, to be fed with Jesus? It, it means nothing more than to, to carve out time in our lives so that we can listen to Jesus teach us about his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his love, the eternal life that he wants us to have. It, it means carving time out, in other words, for things like church and worship, things like growth group, things like personal devotions. It means carving time out. Maybe it's only a minute so you can download, download the version app and have your Bible in your pocket with you. Pick it up and read it now and then throughout the day. That's how we eat the bread of life, by listening to Jesus teach us in the gospel. And and, and Jesus is warning us, Paul, even more so. Do you notice what he says? If you get, if your tunnel vision gets focused on feeding the God's stomach, look, look at what he says. Their destiny is, their destiny is destruction. This is a dire warning. A dire warning that Jesus was trying to give to the crowds, a dire warning that Paul was trying to give to the, to, to the people that he was writing to in Philippi, a dire warning to you and me today. The more we allow our stomachs to be our gods, the less Jesus Christ is going to have time in our hearts, minds, and lives. It's so critical that we focus our vision on Jesus and on feeding our spirit, not our stomach. Now, I love how Jesus ends. And, and let me just encapsulate it because I want to end with reading how Jesus says it. I, I actually don't want to say another word after I read this. Because I think what Jesus says here at the end is so beautiful and so perfect that once I've read it, I don't want to say another word. But I will set it up for you. And, and, and here's what he says to them in effect. If you will just accept that I am this bread of life, if you will just trust this and believe me, if you will just simply stop trying to work and stop focusing on your stomachs and simply just receive this gift, life-changing, eternity-changing Blessings and change are coming your way. Because I, I'm, I'm a patient savior. I love you. And no matter where you've been up till today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just turn. Take this bread that I'm offering you and eat it. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. It's not just me, Jesus says. Even the Father is in agreement with this. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day.
I got no better words. But I know some of you would freak out if I didn't do the last fill-ins. So I'm not adding a thing to what Jesus just said there, but I will give you the fill-ins. How about that? Peace and confidence are the result of receiving good spiritual nutrition. And doesn't everybody want that? Peace and confidence. Jesus, as he says here, has already taken care of everything. Everything. And he will give you life that never ends. So brother, sister, come to the table and eat the bread of life. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have sent us this bread, your one and only son. And Lord, help us to stop thinking we've got to do something to to earn our place at the table. Help us to stop thinking that the table is all about meeting our physical needs. Lord, you tell us that the most important need is to meet the needs of our spirit and to receive Jesus as the bread that will give us eternal blessings, forgiveness, new life, eternal salvation. And Lord, help us to focus our vision on him and on him alone as the one who gives us life, life that is truly not just surviving, but really, really thriving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. You know how Satan will twist this? And I feel it's important to end on this note because we've just talked about focusing on the internal and the spiritual and not the external. And I want to say this very clearly. A person could leave the room today and say, Pastor talked about my swimming pool and my built-in grill and my condo and my cabin. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Some, some of the wealthiest people in the world have been great Christ followers, starting with people in, in, in the Bible. It's not about the external. It's not about what you have or what you don't have. It's about where is your focus. Here's a great way to determine where your focus is. Listen to yourself pray. And, and are your prayers focused on Jesus, the vending machine, to meet your physiological needs? Or are they focused on your spiritual needs, your eternal needs? And then on top of that, take a look at your generosity. If God has given you what he has given you, whatever it might be, like I said, it's not about what you have or what you don't have. It's about what's here. How willing are you to remember that those are God's things? And it is my pleasure to be generous with them, to serve and honor God, because that will take the focus back to where it's meant to be, on the spiritual, not on the physical, whether you have much or whether you have little. Let me send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.